Working Cows Podcast, Episode 164. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. It's Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, here with another episode for you, powered by the Global Ag Network, and really excited today to be joined by Kathy Voth and Tip Hudson. Uh, Kathy, of course, is the uh, one of the minds behind um, OnPasture.com. She's been there cranking out great content and uh, giving people a platform to share uh, their voices on all things pasture related and uh, really, really appreciate all that she's done there to build that platform. And then also uh, first time guest to the Working Cows podcast, uh, Tip Hudson. Uh, very, very much appreciate his platform there at the Art of Range podcast and what he is doing there. And this is kind of a follow-up to last week's episode, uh, episode 163, where we shared our CSSRM, Colorado Section for Society of Range Management, uh, webinar that that we all three participated in and kind of wanted to follow up with them and, and talk a little bit with them about that discussion. So thanks to the Colorado Section for the Society of Range Management uh, for all that, uh, for all the work that they did. To put that together and and give that platform to uh, the people to to see that content and uh, really excited today to follow up with Tip and Kathy. So Kathy, Tip, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we had the opportunity to share the uh, webinar platform that the Colorado section for the Society of Range Managers put together and I really enjoyed both of your presentations. And uh, we, when I was thinking that we were going to have an opportunity to interact a little bit longer on the back end, one of the questions that I had been thinking about a lot in that regard was uh, what, you know, I always talk about, or I always get asked to talk about what have I learned in the process of building uh, working cows and, you know, uh, for me, uh, I always start out by saying I've learned everything, you know, because I, I didn't know anything about uh, holistic management. I didn't know anything uh, about uh, a different way of looking at cows. I grew up around grew up around cows, but I, I just a lot of that stuff I had not sought to uh, take in myself because it wasn't all that interesting to me growing up. And uh, then when it became interesting to me, I uh, kind of unle- unleashed my ravenous curiosity and started to call people and ask them questions. And, and so I've learned everything through this process, but you guys have uh, more more time in, in the business than I do. And you've also uh, had different educational bra- backgrounds than I have had. And so I guess I'd, I'd just like to hear what have you guys learned uh, in the process of building the online communities that you have built? And I guess uh, we'll start with Kathy. Oh, I was going to start with Tip. Yeah. <laughs> I was Go hoping we'd start with Kathy because I'm putting oh. stuff together. Uh, I see you, Tip. So you can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I've I've heard some other folks say that all research is me search, and um, I'm not really doing research. But as you know, as somebody who's committed to lifelong learning, mostly just by my own interest uh, and as an extension professional whose job it is to get information out to people uh, i've come to think a little bit differently about information in general and getting stuff out to people uh, as well i don't know a couple of things i i feel like rangeland what attracted me to rangeland science was that it's more integrated by nature i started at the university of idaho in wildlife biology and uh, having grown up in Arkansas, I had not heard of rangeland science, but it was more, I heard about it in an introductory class, uh, natural resources program, and it was more what I thought I was interested in. I was interested in managing whole landscapes for human benefit. And 
I saw in rain science um, really all of that, trying to integrate soils and plants and animals, livestock, people, uh, you know, whole ecosystems, uh, all of that. And I think that lends itself well to a more community-oriented science. And I, I'm aware that the rangeland profession has some ways to go there. But, but I do think you see that more in range science than in other, um, even other natural resource disciplines that tend to be a little bit harder, say like forestry or something. Um, because range is dealing with whole ecosystems and people and more marginal economics, I think there's a lot more room for even scientists to admit that there's probably things about the real world that they don't know that, uh, you know, ranchers and others who spend their lives immersed in it uh, sense and perceive accurately, even if they can't, you know, define all of the, the causation behind it. And that, that attracts me. And so in terms of outreach, I think Wayne Rasmussen is one of the founders of the, the SARA program, Sustainable Ag Research Education. Uh, and I read a quote from him one time, might have been part of some documentation about SARE, where he said that the universities are uh, towers of excellence surrounded by seas of non-communication. <laughs> and you know, while, while people may quibble about how excellent some of the universities are, I do think there's a lot of valid, useful information that gets produced that, that doesn't get out. And of course, that's the whole purpose of the extension system across the country. That, that's my job. So coming all the way back around, I felt like with a, a little bit of effort on my part, I could expand my own learning process and, and put that out there for other people to benefit from. You know, we have all of these uh, experts on both sides of the academic fence, people that are in academia and outside of academia that uh, can and need to learn from each other. And I thought broadcasting recorded conversation in sort of like long form journalism, you know, in depth on a topic would be would be useful. And it has certainly been useful for me and it's been enjoyable. Uh, otherwise, I probably wouldn't have the discipline to keep doing it. Yeah. 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 Go. Are you ready, Kathy? Well, yeah, I, I can build on that a little bit. Um when he said they're towers of excellence surrounded by seas of non-communication, that's kind of what I saw when I started on pasture. I was really, um, I was frustrated by um, such great information not actually being applied on the ground. And so I really felt like that was, that was something I could do for my grazing community. It was something that, um, I had the skills for, and, you know, it feels like back in 2013 when I started this, um, podcasts and everybody doing a podcast, well, not everybody, but podcasts are much more common than they were back then, <clears throat> and I'm a writer, so doing it in a written form um, seemed like a good thing to do at the time. Um, so I guess what I've learned along the way is that um, people actually – if you give them, if you translate what the Tower of Excellence has figured out into something that a regular person can do on the ground, they will actually do it and they will actually benefit from it. And one of the things I've actually worked at is, um, you know, Tip laughed a little bit about, well, there may be some uh, argument about whether or not it's a tower of excellence. One of the things that I've really worked at is trying to help people understand that there's a reason that people at the um, universities, um, especially the land grant colleges, are studying the things that they're studying and that it really reflects um, what producers have said they need or um, an understanding of producers. So, you know, I've really tried to, it really frustrates me when people say bad things about um, land grant colleges in particular, because I really feel like those people are working hard and those money 
more they had to go out and find funding elsewhere and that impacts their research and things like that. So I've really tried to help people understand um, that kind of mechanism. It, and again, it goes to just kind of looking at the larger picture and why things are happening and what our assumptions are and, and our expectations and then adjusting those based on what we're doing. So that's what I've learned. Kathy, your background before on pasture, was it NRCS? No, Bureau of Land Management. Oh, BLM. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I started there basically as a, I was a volunteer building a 150 mile mountain bike trail from Grand Junction, Colorado to Moab, Utah. Hmm. And from there I got involved with the agency. Um, I really felt like it was an opportunity to, again, um, help my community develop um, re- you know, resources and economic opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so that's kind of what I did with them. And before I started with them, I really didn't have a uh, any kind of range background at all. So pretty much the first thing I did when they hired me to be the public information officer was I went over to the range specialists and I had them take me out and show me what was going on and teach me about grasses. And in fact, over here on my library um, shelf is still... Um, it's the Manual of the Grasses, the two-volume set that I got from one of those fellows when he passed on. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and it's great stuff. So, you know, I I think I'm a testament to lifelong learning and what you can do if you learn how to read and keep reading and ask questions and then try and um, figure out how to apply things on the ground. So, I don't even yeah, know. You mentioned you're a, a writer. Uh, how yeah. did you... How did you become a writer, or what would you make you what would make you say that you are a writer? Um, what would make me say I'm a writer? It's I think it's probably one of my easiest forms of communication. Hmm. For example, if you had asked me that question, I would really prefer to write down my answer because I'm also kind of shy. Um, yeah. But because I feel like the information comes out my fingers better, it's just a skill that I've kind of developed. I don't know. I started writing when I was in fourth grade. And it's always been something that I wanted to do. And so it's a skill that I've acquired along the way. Um, mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yes. No, I was curious if you had done something uh, professionally with writing or had done, you know, separate from uh, on pasture or had done some yeah. kind of you know, formal training. Like some people, Emmett Jordan, for example, is a former journalist. And mm-hmm. you see that reflected in his work. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I resemble much of what you're saying. I'm also. Some people are verbal processors. I'm more of a, a, a written processor. I, I think better if it's coming out my fingers. And I usually do it longhand instead of typing because I find that I edit it kind of before it comes out. Whereas yeah. typing, I can type almost as fast as I can talk. And <laughs> I, you know, it's more a verbatim recording as opposed to doing some drafting in the middle. Uh, yeah. But I do, think, I do think better in writing. And I, I think I tend to speak. <laughs> more like the way I would write things as well. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with yeah. you. And I'm, I'm on the other side of that coin. I guess I'm a verbal processor and, and talking for me is, is how I, how I kind of mm. help myself understand what I'm, what I'm thinking and what I'm, uh, what I'm learning. And, uh, you know, I've often thought if I had all my ducks in a row for me as a pastor, the best, pl- the best way for me to, practice my sermons would be to preach them to an empty room and take notes as I preach because I often find myself making connections yeah. in the pulpit that I don't that I don't make beforehand and uh, I, I yeah that's one of the things a, a goal of mine is to to make that a more regular practice to <laughs> to put that out there in that way and and to learn uh, or and to, and to get some of those connections more solidly uh, backgrounded before I uh, unleash them into the wild. <laughs> but Yeah. One of your questions, Clay, was uh, building an online community. Uh, I, I feel like I have a platform at the moment, but not much community. And I'm interested in, in ways that the two of you maybe have been successful in building more online community and not just a platform. Yeah. I think for me, social media um, has kind of facilitated that. And I don't know how it happens, honestly, other than just mentioning it on the show. Uh, and then I think, I don't know if people go through a, my list of 
people who follow me and then they go and, and make those connections themselves or uh, maybe I'm giving myself too much credit and those connections existed uh, totally separately from me, but it's there are interesting connections I see all the time of people uh, in you know, people in, in Missouri connected with people in Utah. And, um, there's a, a direct connection there as, you know, former guests and friends of former guests have become connected to each other. And, and I don't know if there's other platforms that they've used to facilitate, facilitate those connections, but I do, I, I've seen, seen those connections happen and it's, uh, it's always interesting to me for sure. I really think that the community goes on around me invisibly. Um, you know, I have the people who write in and they have particular questions, but having called on pasture community for a long time, people understand that we're all kind of together, even if we don't see each other. Um, it's kind of an invisible support group. And um, in terms of it going on around me without me participating, it, uh, I know like one group, um, one person wrote me and said they had put together a little on pasture reading group so that they read and talk and get together and think about things together. Um, but I'd have to say that, you know, the community is largely invisible. And that's, I think, really one of the hard parts about doing these things online or um, digitally it's that we don't get to see what's really happening for other people. And, you know, so when someone like yesterday, my husband was talking to someone that turns out works with somebody I'm working with and she knows on pasture and had some nice things to say about the way that I present information. And I think I don't hear that very often. <laughs> and so I'm always surprised. And, you know, those things kind of, like I said, it's it's going on invisibly around me, and I I can see just by statistics and things what people are doing. I can see them interact on Facebook and and sometimes write in comments. But again, in a way, I feel like you tip where it's kind of um, I I built a platform where people can come and read and think and then go on and talk with each other about it. And I'm kind of a catalyst and I'm not sure I, you know, I get to interact with some people, but not, not as much as you might imagine. Yeah, no, I, I uh, understand that, that perspective. I, uh, I think that there's, um, uh, again, a lot of that, you just, you just open up the, the platform and, uh, the people find each other. Um, it's not something that I've intentionally sought to do. I don't know if that's your experience, but that's, that's, uh, something that, uh, has just been a, I think a byproduct, uh, you know, and again, I, I tell that, told that story. I think even on the webinar, uh, I was sitting at, at the ranching for generations conference with, and I happened to be at a table with three, three people from Texas. And I said, you know, the most traffic I get is from Texas. And they're like, really, I don't know anybody who thinks like me. And so I, I think mm -hmm. those online communities have become a place where people can go and, and find out maybe they're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and we've got the Voth book club and the Conry support group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kathy, where do you uh, see the, the readers of on pasture uh, are they in in your talk? You talked about the uh, the innovators, the early adopters, the late majority, or the early majority and the late majority. Uh, do you do you see, uh, or have you been able to get back demographic information that would tell you that most of your readers are that early majority, or uh, are is it the innovators who are reading your stuff and then taking it out, or are you featuring the innovators as the content and then the the early adopters are taking it out and sharing it with the early and late majority. What, how have you seen that play out? Um, I don't have necessarily demographic information just based on comments from readers and who's reading and other things I see elsewhere. I would say that um, I'm presenting information from innovators and early, ad and uh, early adopters. And then the early majority people are the ones that are doing the reading. Um, and those are, <clears throat> you know, those are, I know I have some early adopter readers because they'll say things like, um, well, I'm already doing all of this, but thanks for the moral support. Um, 
And, you know, and then I'll have a lot of people who are saying things like, well, um, I'm, you know, I've changed my practices just based on what I've seen here, um, what I've read here. And so I, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, and it's hard to tell if majority or laggards are watching at all. Um, <clears throat> I would kind of say not because they're probably not online either. <laughs> yeah, they're at the, they're at the coffee shop complaining yeah. about prices and weather. Sorry. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you accomplishing your goal then for on pasture? Is that what you set out to do, uh, to, to translate that information from the, from the innovators and the early adopters to, to the late or to the yeah early majority? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that and translating science into things that people can use as well, because there's a ton of great science out there, really some great research that's been done um, and some stuff that's really coming up now that I find really interesting. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like it's working. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. And, you know, it can take a long time. I, I will be dead before <laughs> before a lot of this stuff happens. After all, you know, I look at regenerative grazing and and from my perspective, all the things that regenerative grazing is doing is stuff that we've been trying to get people to do since like the 1930s or even longer. And so you know, some different techniques some different plants some different, you know, we have new tools like fencing, electric fencing that we never had before, but um, it's pretty much the same. So when people are really excited that they're a regenerative rancher, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> yep. carry on. Let's keep going. Good yep. job. And tip. Um, I really appreciated your, your uh, presentation on the webinar uh, talking uh, about how, conversation promotes, uh, deep thinking. Uh, that's just a, a great, a great title and a great, a great direction to go. Um, how has, how have you heard back from your audience, uh, about the ways that your, your content is impacting them? Yeah, that's a good question. One of my, one of my hopes, and this was part of the thinking that led to doing a podcast in the first place was that people would be pulling together pieces from all these wide variety of topics and making conclusions from it. Sort of like, you know, your body digests food and breaks it down into different parts. We call that metabolism, but then the body also catabolizes, which is taking all those individual parts and putting them back together into what the body needs. You know, I, I think I mentioned in the webinar that there's a fair bit of survey data indicating that the, some of the biggest problems in ranching the ones that are the most difficult to put your finger on or do something about are social like public perceptions about ranching especially grazing on public lands um, you know working with other people that maybe are antagonistic to you i recognize that for a lot of people the financial struggles are still quite significant but but i also think that in you know some of the financial issues also get addressed by thinking from a bigger picture um, perspective, trying to get up to the 35,000 foot view. And so uh, I had a, a survey out initially to try to gather some feedback for the funding source. Uh, the Western Center for Risk Management Education, you know, put money into this because they believed in my argument that people would make site-specific decisions and conclusions from listening to a, a broad spectrum of information. And so the, the survey allowed people uh, to just fill in a blank with what did you do? You know, it's hard to analyze that if you're trying to summarize survey results for a funder. But uh, the whole point was that there aren't four different things in a drop-down list that we're hoping people would do from listening to the content from two years worth of podcasting. So uh, the, the question, you know, was essentially, you know, what have you done as a result of listening to the podcast and just left it open-ended and left room for people to enter three different things. And uh, as I had hoped, those results were all over the board. You know, people resolved to 
spend more time talking one-on-one with their range con or they were uh you know had set up a, a photo point on a fence post that they could take a picture from once a year or they were uh, going to think about how they could cull their herd to reduce mother cow size and you know potentially decrease cost of production and maintain output and revenue and uh, use terrain differently the results were really all over the board which is kind of what i had hoped for so I just say, go ahead go i love the way you think i just i really enjoy listening to how you think and and put things together it's really great thank you <laughs> thank you it, to both of you um is it scary to you when people tell you they've decided to make a change on their ranch uh, because they of something they heard uh, a guest or 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 a contributor uh, say on your platform? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I guess I've been extension long enough and been you know spewing advice at people for long enough that <laughs> I haven't worried about it too much for a while. But you know, especially with things that uh, inputs that cost money like various kinds of range rehabilitation, I think is a good example. You know, things like culling your herd to reduce cow size or calving a little bit later, you know, those are those are pretty well proven. But if somebody's going to go out and spend several thousand dollars on seed or tens of thousands of dollars on, on seed, you know, a lot of those things are outside of my control, their control. You can try to reduce some of the factors, but... Um, yeah, some of those things uh, do worry me because you could easily throw away ten grand and not see much come back from it if you have a seating failure. And I have a tendency to just listen to what they they say they're going to do, what they what they think they want to do, <clears throat> and then see if I can provide them a little bit of additional information or suggest that maybe they go talk to their NRCS person or their range con. Um, remind them that there's funding potentially available. There's people out there to help them because sometimes it's hard for me to know exactly how they translated something that they saw um, and what their skill level is, things like that. So I try and just reinforce, yes, you should think about changes and these are people that could help you too. So that's kind of an ongoing refrain from me. And, and Kathy, back to your your presentation. Um, uh, could you give me some examples of of people that you think of as innovators in our in our field, and uh, people that you think of as as maybe early adopters in the fields that we are uh, all connected to? Well, I think everybody has heard of Greg Judy. I think he's quite an innovator in the in the grazing world, uh, and people, you know, he's working hard to um, share that information and move people along. But then there's people like one of our authors is uh, Tom Kravitz. He's out of Alberta, Canada. And um, he is constantly working on, you know, how can I do more soil health? How can I, you know, he's actually looking at, you know, the difference. He's looking at the economics of if I do bale grazing, do I roll them out or leave them in a big bale? And which is better for the, which is better economically and which comes, you know, has better results for the environment and things like that. Um, kind of, so yeah, I've got a variety of, little, of authors like that. Don Ashford has been in the business uh, for like 60 years. He's out of Louisiana. Um, he's definitely an early adopter um, and has really worked hard in his community to spread the word John Marble. A lot of these people are actually involved in groups within their communities. And so those are the people that I interact with that I think of in those terms. As far as those are those early adopters, those innovators. You know, one of the things that I wrote down during your presentation, Kathy, was are we all just, uh, are we all just imposters of the innovators? You know, we're all, all just looking at them, waiting to see how it works out and then copying what they're doing. Um, maybe that's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it was no, not, not a negative thing, I mean, you know? Yeah. There's people who have like the early adopters are usually the people who have more resources and so they can bear a risk. Um, innovators are often just kind of crazy people and that's okay. And again, they're able to, to bear risk 
better as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't see any problem with kind of sitting and watching somebody and seeing how it goes. The problem I see is when people um, disrespect them and say bad things about them. And, you know, you should just kind of watch and see how it works out, support them if it goes poorly, support them if it goes well, and then learn, you know, it's, they took the, they took the initiative to learn something that could be beneficial for all of us. So I think that's a, always a good thing. People have different strengths. I mean, there's, I think there's some reasons why early adopters are early adopters. You know, sometimes it has to do with, with the ability to take risk, either, you know, personally or financially. Uh, this James Rogers who's with, with the Wine Cup Gamble said he feels like this is one of the responsibilities of large corporate ranches that sometimes get a bad name, uh, but some of them, you know, are an economic hole and they have to pay for themselves. Uh, and, and when they are profitable or are backed up by other money, he feels like they have significant responsibility to do some of that, to take on some of that risk and try stuff that other people don't have the freedom to do because it looks too economically risky. And there's some, uh, there's some experimentation that can happen there uh, that other people may not be free to try. But I think there's also different kinds of strengths. And one of the criticisms that's often leveled against um, extension people by cynics is that those who can do and those who can't teach. Uh, I, think I, I think I disagree with that. You know, for example, somebody can be a spectacular golf coach without being a great golfer. And especially in the world of ranching, you know, that opportunity is just not open to everybody. And I, I do take it seriously as somebody who's in the academic world, uh, you know, to be trying to be on the leading edge of what is being learned and can be learned and translating that to people that can use it. And they don't have the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that golf coach analogy, you know, sometimes the golfer couldn't tell you how to fix your swing, but the golf coach can analyze the swing, break it down into its smallest parts and then uh, reassemble it, you know, kind of that metabolize, catabolize uh, yeah. analogy too, back into something that somebody else can digest uh, in a way that they can understand. And I, I think that's kind of, you know, what what all of us probably are are doing on some level is finding those those people and giving them an opportunity to, to share that. And then, you know, for me personally, uh, that's kind of part of the reason why I started this conversation where I did. For me personally, uh, I have rarely ever asked a question I knew the answer to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I ask questions because I want to know and because I need to learn. And, you know, I'm still learning. Obviously, I, I just dropped off three open cows at the sale barn uh, because I, I'm in a position where I got to sell them, you know, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd rather add value to them, but I just can't do it right now. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things you you still learn and you're still you're still uh, continuing, as you guys have both alluded to, life the process of lifelong learning. Do you have any, any thoughts about that, either of you? Well, for one, the older I get, the more valid answers I see. I've got a lot mm. fewer pat answers, you know, to what might look like simple questions. And uh, I think that's a good place to be. I've also found, maybe going back to, you know, what our role um, interacting with some of the early adopters and, and the ones that are not so early in adopting. You know, when talking with ranchers, I often find that square one is farther back than I realized. And that's not an insult to ranchers. That's, that's um, you know, a, a failure to, I think, know people on my part. You know, I'll, I'll go in to a presentation prepared to do Riparian Grazing 501 and, and find that what is needed is to do some more 101 and 201. And again, I, I, don't, I don't even like using the term basics anymore because I think those basic things are more like fundamentals. I guess one of the, one of the directions I wanted to go, um, appreciate Emmett's interaction with us, was uh, what feedback from your communities uh, have helped shape what you're doing, what, what challenges, what are the greatest challenges your communities are looking for you to help uh, overcome? I think it is the fundamentals as, as Tip was just saying, um, you know, how does grass grow? Um, what, 
what is soil health? How do we, um, how do we improve soil health? All those are kind of fundamentals that, that I see coming up over and over again um, that we need to work on. And there's always um, a, some snake oil out there that they need help with um, kind of working through. Is this real? Is this not? Um, is it worth the investment? Is it not? Those are, those are often the kinds of things that, that I see them asking for and needing help with. And, and tip, you were talking about the fundamentals and, and, and I think the direction you were going is that those, those fundamentals kind of prove themselves to be weaved into all of the higher order uh, principles and and uh, more complex uh, ways of thinking is is that right? Is that where you were headed with that idea? Yeah, I think so. the The fundamentals are not simple basics that we move on from and then do more complex things. It's it's that all the everything that we do is still tied back to those fundamentals, and I think it's pretty important for those of us that are involved in teaching uh, to keep track of them because the answers that I have regarding some of the fundamentals, whatever that might be, grazing philosophy, animal science, you know, you name it, uh, you know, my conclusions about those things have changed over time. And so they, they do for everybody else as well. And I think it's only by continuing to talk about them and feel out the edges and challenge what we thought was true. Or we are able to do other stuff with it. And, and it's kind of, you know, the analogy of the tree. We talk about being out on a limb, you know, when we're, when we're away from the fundamentals. Uh, w- why are you out on that limb? Well, you're less supported by the trunk. You know, you're less supported by the, the branch as it's closer to the trunk. And, and now you're, you're maybe in a little bit more of an, an exposed and risky position because you're, you're um, less connected to those fundamentals. I don't know if that's a, mm-hmm. a helpful way of thinking about that. Yeah, I think so. And Tip, I asked uh, Kathy while we were dealing with some connection issues, uh, what are some of the challenges that you feel like your your community is is asking you to help them uh, overcome? Yeah, at least in the Pacific Northwest, uh, there's definitely a, a lot of pressure against public lands grazing. Uh, mm. And I, I think some of that's left over from legitimate abuses that happened earlier in the century. And because of the nature of uh, you know, most semi-arid rangelands that can sometimes get us past the tipping point that we haven't recovered from. And so people still see the effects in places of mismanaged grazing historically. But, but I also feel like we're at a pretty encouraging time where I think the, the general public, if there is such a thing, is valuing food producers more than they did, say, 20 years ago. People are, uh, I feel, trying to understand a little bit more um, about where their food comes from and how it's raised. And I think that's something that definitely, that scrutiny, I believe, will benefit rangeland-based livestock operations. I think there's a really good story to tell there because this is one of the only sectors of agriculture where you can have your cake and eat it too, where we can produce food and still produce all of the other ecosystem goods and services that people expect from wide open spaces. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's a good story to tell. And I think that is one of the things that ranchers in particular want from those of us who are in this, you know, middle ground liaison boundary spanner space is to both help them tell the story and, you know, to, to use, um, you know, our writing skills or our platforms to help uh, get that word out. And I, I think there's some risk in that, at least, you know, from from an academic standpoint or from being part of the Society for Range Management. The society uh, tried to distance themselves somewhat from the livestock industry for quite a long time uh, to try to counter the perception that they were just a tool of the livestock industry. You know, but if you disconnect that enough, then there's a lack of two-way communication that actually is pretty important for research. Um, especially where we're not talking about bench science. This is quite a bit more complex than that. And so, you know, to understand how livestock interact with landscapes and do that sustainably, even to do research on that, it requires, you know, serious connection between the academic community and the ranching community. 
And so I, mm. I, I see that as being one of my roles to try to strengthen that connection where it has been weakened. Building trust. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you guys uh, have the experience of um, people who aren't connected to agriculture uh reaching out to you and, and letting you know that they're consuming your content. And I, I think maybe again, uh, kind of back to the unique position of agriculture, uh, especially, uh, holistic management or, or whatever label you want to put on it. Uh, because we're talking about managing holes, pretty much every industry could be served by better management of the hole that they find themselves uh, entrusted with. So I don't know if you guys have had that experience of people who are not necessarily uh, agriculturalists themselves uh, reaching out to you and letting you know that they're consuming the content that you're producing. Yeah, I've, I've actually gotten emails from people who say um, they, they aren't farmers or ranchers or they don't raise anything. They just like to read about it. And so yeah, and that's been going on since we first started. So I don't think it's a huge number, but I know they're out there. Yeah, not a lot. Uh, most of what I've gotten, I would say, from people that are outside of the the sphere of range science have been students who maybe have been assigned a range course and the professor is using some of the podcast episodes as required content for the course. And students that otherwise you know, didn't have any background in agriculture or livestock grazing um, are, are made aware of this, you know, this enterprise, this activity going on in our country, and they uh, appreciate it. I have heard from several students that have that to say about it. Yeah, and I think both of us, or all of all of us, recognize the the unique position uh, that we find ourselves in as far as uh, just the the world. Uh, and I think kind of the wake up call as far as the connection to your food producer has, has been, uh, do you, do you guys think about, uh, pursuing that as a, as a, a vein of content that you want to explore further, or have you seen, uh, more traffic to that content that you've already, uh, produced in that way? And, and how are you thinking about those things? I'm not, <laughs> I have my hands full. So, um, you know, from time to time, I, I do include articles that um, help farmers and ranchers make the argument for themselves uh, so that if they find themselves in a position where they need to justify what they're doing or whatever, um, I, you know, they have the material that they need. But, um, yeah, I have my hands full and I kind of need to stick with my little niche to keep on serving them as best I can. Yeah, I have thought about it some. Uh, I have not done much of that to date, mostly because uh, the because the podcast is still funded primarily by the Western Center for Risk Management. I've tried to stay a little bit focused on topics that um, you know have been promised as as deliverables in the grant application. Uh, I learned the first time around that those need to be somewhat general, and, and I would say one of the biggest challenges I've had in running a podcast is, um, you know, trying to have some control over the scope and sequence, mostly just for my own ineptitude. I think I have found that it's getting interviews has been a little bit more opportunistic than strategic. And so I kind of end up with whatever I end up with. And, you know, in general, have tried to keep that with, uh, you know, with, the topics that I've said I would cover in the grant. Uh, and to answer your question, in, in this most recent grant, one of the things I wanted to accomplish was to run some content to try to help ranchers be able to tell their story, you know, to the, to the non-ranching world um, to, to promote, you know, a better public perception about especially public lands grazing. And so, I'm open to ideas for how we might do that. That was the kind of the last, you know, the last quarter of the of the grant that I'm working on right now, and I'm looking for ideas to do that to try to reach out beyond just the ranching and what I call natural resource professionals audience, and uh, try to go a little bit broader, both with the listenership as well as working with ranchers to try to tell their story. I'll think about it. Maybe I, I can 
send you something. I'll think about it. Kathy, what challenges do you find in creating the content that you're creating? And again, I need to give a, a hat tip to uh, Emmett Jordan uh, the, from the Colorado Six section. There it was again. Colorado section for the Society of Range Manage- Management. Uh, he sent some great questions. It's it's nice to have a, a real journalist provide you with some questions <laughs> when you're when you're working on on something like this. But uh, so, what what uh, challenges have you have you come across in in creating the content that you create? You know, when I first started, I was just going to be a news aggregator like the Huffington Post. I was just going to like go out and find the articles and rework them a little bit and pop them in. So, um, what I found though, was that the kinds of content that I wanted to provide didn't exist anywhere. So the first challenge was to begin to create the content. And the next challenge is that I do this every week. And so I have, you know, I'm basically writing the equivalent of one self-help novel every six weeks. And that's, that's a killer. (laughs) It's, it's quite wearing. And, you know, I do have some, some people that send in information and things like that, but it, it's, it's, uh, it can be very wearing. I, I, you're talking to me at a point right now where I'm really tired of not, not physically, but just Mm. mentally and emotionally from continuing the the project for the last eight years. Um, So yeah. That's the biggest challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Are you are you actively seeking uh, assistance in that regard, or how does that look for you? Yeah, um, and I'm always reaching out to people, and people are always showing up. In fact, usually about the time that I'm just like, oh God, I can't do this anymore, someone shows up. So you know, it, it it's all working out. It's just you know, it's kind of the up and downs of of this kind of work. Tip: What are your challenges in in creating content? Oh, pretty similar. You're trying to lock down interviews. Uh, I think you're on about a weekly release schedule. Uh, I'm releasing an episode uh, exactly every other week, and we've been pretty successful in keeping to that. And I've been surprised at how much work it takes just to get you know an hour's worth of content out every other week. Um, just in terms of you know broaching the topic with somebody I'm interested in, landing on what we're going to talk about getting it scheduled, you know, making that sync with, uh, you know, with an audio technician and then being able to process that in time to, to stay ahead of a release schedule. That has been, it's been good for me in that it requires kind of like writing discipline, you know, where, you know, you've got to put something out on a regular basis, whether you feel like writing or not, it's been good discipline for me to just, something's got to go out. And so you get it done. Yeah, and me for me personally, the the challenges I face are are the time to edit, uh, the the recording, the the scheduling, the interviews, the actual interview thing, isn't is not as much of a challenge to me as as the editing because I do uh, try to put out uh, you know a high quality product where you know there's there aren't pauses, there aren't ums, there aren't. Uh, well, some some of them yeah. you leave in just because it's you want to maintain a conversational t- tone. So that's one challenge. And then I think the other challenge is the monetization of it, um, because I see myself as ba- basically telling people that uh, these are a bunch of people who are living proof that you don't need all the inputs to succeed in ranching. And so basically I'm, I'm in the job in the, in the business of telling people that they don't need to spend money to, to be successful in, in ranching. And so how do you find somebody who wants to pay somebody to tell them they don't have to spend money? So, you know, that <laughs> by the way, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm with you all. That's the hardest part. People want to learn things, but they don't want to pay for it. So yeah, it's yep. tricky. I mentioned that I'm grant funded, you know, through the end of 2021, uh, and I've put some feelers out for different ways to try to fund podcasting and get some sponsorships. You know, maybe organizations that sponsor a series of episodes and just pay for those. But I think that's difficult. You know, you can do advertising, but uh, there's there's some risks in just letting any advertising come on. Uh, and then if you're a little bit more discriminating about that, then you risk being accused of discrimination. 
Yeah, that's that's a, that's a challenge, and I I think that the 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 discrimination part of that is a big part of what podcasting has done. Is you know you always hear that from podcasters. I I only endorse products that I I use myself or that I that I I enjoy and appreciate or or whatever you know however they phrase that, and and so um, we've we've niched ourselves down already. Uh, being in agriculture and in, and then even further being in regenerative agriculture and 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 then on top of the fact that regenerative agriculture is that if you treat the land right the land will treat you right uh, on some level uh, you, you don't need the input so it, it becomes a very small slice of people who have uh, something that they want to sell that group of people and and uh, yeah so you you've got to branch out either branch out outside of that regenerative space or uh, be right. content with creating free content and uh, the satisfaction that comes from it. <laughs> Yeah. You don't want to be well, the Working Cows podcast brought to you by Acme Chemical Company. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or I've, you know, I've actually turned down advertising and it's very, it's a difficult yeah. thing to do because I can't just say to them, I'm sorry, but it's snail. And I've promised people that I'm not going to tell them to buy snake oil. So if it's there on my site, I, yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. Yep. So I keep, you know, we're, we're subscription based service now and um i mm. think we might make it but i'm not sure do either of you see yourself broadening away from your current platform uh to others uh to reach your goals or to to broaden the the audience at all um you know i i think today uh we're recording this on video but it's it's got its own set of unique challenges and and so uh that's a, that's one example but i and i i feel like me personally, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat weekly, <laughs> you know, I've, I've released more than an episode a week since November of 2017. Uh, but the last few months have been, uh, maybe two episodes one week and, and nothing for a couple weeks after that or something mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, it's, a I feel like I'm barely keeping my nose above water with audio. And then to add in another, another wrinkle would be, uh, even another set of challenges on its own. So, well, what, what I'm doing is, um, at this point, we've got like, I don't know, 2,800 articles or something in the archive. And when I sit down to write something, um, because I've written so much, I pretty much, well, and I edited everything, so I know what my content is. I'll think, oh, I've already written this. Um, so I'll write this, and then I'll add this over here. So basically, the switch that I'm working on right now, or the something a little different, is not not everybody is as familiar with my content, so I'm basically um, curating old articles and putting them into ebooks and things like that, so that people can find them. And then, you know, just out of I really like making video, and so it's hard for me to do the same thing day after day after day. So I'm actually looking at how can I do video, or how could I like do a a two minute um, audio story or something just to to break it up so that I can do some other things as well, just for my own enjoyment. Um, keep me in, uh, enthusiastic. What about you tip? Any, any uh, changes uh, to the art of range podcast in that way? Yeah, I think my answer is uh, similar to yours. I feel like I'm just barely approaching being successful, you know, with an audio only podcast. And I really like that. I really like that uh, format. Uh, the thing that I feel I need to do badly is to establish a, a more dynamic website so that when people, you know, reach that as a landing point, there's a little more there than just a SoundCloud plugin that shows the most recent few episodes. Uh, I'm actually working with the University of Arizona right now to uh, revise the website and do something more like an old-fashioned blog where there's a you know, an entry or a page for each episode. So there's room to, you know, present some supporting material, um, other publications. Right now, we've got all of the transcripts, uh, which are required by the university, and I have found pre pretty useful. Uh, those transcripts are all on a Dropbox site, but anybody who's on a government computer is not able to access the Dropbox, fol Dropbox folders. And so uh, I'm trying to set up, you know, a a real website, not just a landing page where 
I think that will help promote a little bit more of an online community and enhance the content. But for the, for the time being, I'm definitely happy with um, audio only and podcasting. And, and I feel like I need to succeed in doing that before considering anything else. Yep. Me too. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I guess, have you guys seen um, or ha- have you had opportunities uh, afforded to you by your platform to go to in-person uh, events or have you heard about uh, in-person connections being facilitated by your by your platforms? Yeah, definitely. I've been asked to come and speak because of, of my platform. Um, it's not some, well, definitely it's not something I'm doing right now. Um, and I've kind of found that I'd rather stay at home. <laughs> so it's probably not something that I'm going to, I, I, I was on the speaking circuit for like 12 years. Hmm. And so I'm kind of done with that. Yeah. I, I like this. this. I do enjoy talking to people and enjoy speaking live. Um, and I've had a couple like the Colorado section was going to be a meeting that I would have been in person for and was really looking mm-hmm. forward to that. And I, yeah, I think there's something really significant that's lost, you know, when we, when we meet virtually it, this technology is amazing. You know, it's, it's, um, it's unique. And I think important that the three of us, for example, can sort of look at each other while we're talking, but you know, when you're, sp- when you're speaking to a larger group, uh, if there's 115 people that are out there somewhere and you can't see them, hear them, uh, I didn't realize until I've, I've, I've probably done about three virtual conferences of various kinds in the last month. And I'm really surprised at how much what I would ordinarily say is adjusted on the fly, you know, by stuff that you're picking up from an audience, the composition, their age, their uh, all kinds of things. There's, there's just no, you know, you've got no feedback whatsoever from an audience and it's really difficult uh, to try to connect and speak to people in that way. So I'm hoping for in-person uh, connection again sometime. The most interesting thing I think that I've had happen is I was eating breakfast at the Society for Range Management meeting uh, a year before last and somebody came up to me in the restaurant as they were leaving breakfast and said, are you Tip Hudson? <laughs> Why, yes, yes, I am. He said, I recognized your voice in the restaurant and just wanted to come say hi and I like your podcast. And uh, that's pretty cool. So it, it definitely has given uh, me more notoriety than I deserve for sure. <laughs> but it also feels good to connect people with, I, I think that's one of the things that I feel like is a benefit of a podcast is it makes people feel like some of these um you know, range science superstars who might seem inaccessible by virtue of their position or their prominence uh, aren't inaccessible. You know, they're normal people like the three of us who do their job and and they're happy to talk to folks. And I think that's an important message uh, to get out there. Yep. I've, I've had similar experiences. Uh, one of them was uh, I was at a concert and I was having a conversation with somebody and somebody heard me having a conversation said the same thing you know i uh, recognized your voice i'm like that that is weird uh and then you know yeah the uh, the um the other thing uh you know like the first time i gave that talk that i gave at the the society for range management webinar um i i gave it in alberta canada and i gave it to the holistic management canada annual meeting mm. and so there's like uh all, all these people there, you know, Steve Kenyon and Don Campbell and, and others that would be legends in the, in the holistic management Canada area. And, and so here I am. And at that point I'd, I'd literally done nothing in a, in holistic management other than talk to people who had done it. And, right. and, uh, you know, it was super intimidating for me. And like, for me, uh, I speak every Sunday. I, uh, I have usually a, a page of type notes with, uh, you know, 14 point font. So it's big. Um, 
and that'll last me 35 to 45 minutes. And I was so nervous up there. I, I think uh, I had more content than that uh, written down and it lasted me 25 minutes. <laughs> and then so I went back and I tweaked it and I, I added some stuff to it. And for the webinar, kind of going back to what Tip was saying, without the ability to interact with the crowd face to face, it was even it was even shorter even though I tweaked it and added more to it and changed some of the changed some of the lessons that I've learned, uh, it was it was shorter on the webinar than it was in in person looking legends in the eye. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it is it is there is something lost, but it is good it is good to have this opportunity when uh, other opportunities aren't as readily available. So did you guys have any any uh, thoughts going through your head uh, or or things that you wanted to uh, cover? As far as in in kind of that post webinar interaction time, was there any anything in in your mind that you were hoping to 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 talk about during that time? Thank you. I think we've kind of covered a lot here, so I'm happy. Yeah, I think the only question that I had uh, that that we haven't asked of you yet is I'm curious how you have ended up uh, selecting content. Is it you know, is it that you find a person that seems interesting and you target them, or is it that there's some topics that you want to cover and you go fishing for people that can speak on a topic? Uh, I think I mentioned that it's been a little bit more opportunistic for me than I had hoped for. Uh, I was hoping to be a little bit more deliberate in in content, and I think we've ended up having good stuff, but it's definitely not a tight scope and sequence, and you know, carefully chosen speakers in a sequence uh, like I might have thought once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah. My content is, is opportunistic would be a good way to describe it. Um, you know, uh, generally it's person based and not topic based for me. I find the person and then we, we, we pick a topic to, to discuss. Um, you know, I, I, I started off, uh, way back at the beginning, you know, I think episode episodes three, four and five were about winter winter grazing and actually Kathy was uh, involved in making the connection with Grant Lestuka to do the bale grazing he turned me on to um, oh no yeah Grant Grant turned me on to to another guy that I ended up talking about talking to for that that episode uh, but you know that was those were my uh, I think that's the only time I've done a series where I had three episodes in a row that were all related to each other uh, even as broadly as just winter feeding of cattle. And, uh, yeah, so I, since then I haven't been able to, to replicate that with, uh, with the thread like that of, of different episodes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think yeah, that's a good word opportunistic, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good, good opportunity, uh, to, to let the person and, and what they are uniquely, uniquely qualified to talk about kind of drive, drive the content. So I, I haven't, felt uh and maybe it's just a lack of reflection too but i haven't felt like uh it's been a disservice necessarily to the person speaking or to the audience uh to be to be personality driven yeah well i appreciate you guys' time today uh is there anything kathy that you you've got coming up that you want to share or or uh, what you'd like to direct people uh i think um, i imagine there's quite a bit of overlap here so people are aware but uh if you, whatever whatever you want to share on the show notes page for today uh i'd be happy to do that no i don't think i have anything i mean people can just come and explore on pasture um there's always the three free articles a month option if you're not interested in becoming a subscriber right away um, we have bonus content for people who are subscribers so those are free downloadable um ebooks and other things that they can have if they're a paying subscriber and we're kind of building on that right now um one that's coming up is a grazing 101 ebook that we're going to do in uh with spot from the national grazing lands uh, coalition so just building some things like that along the way and so and again if people have something that they want me to write about or something that uh they can i can do better there I'm more than happy for them to get in touch and and let me know because the only way I can do my job especially well is if people let me know when I'm not doing it well so that's mostly what I ask buckle up what do you got tip (laughs) 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 anything you want to share tip in that regard no just to encourage uh, folks to check out the art of range podcast Uh, I have not 
been very aggressive about advertising for the first little while. <clears throat> you know, I think when people go to take a look at the podcast, they want to see that there's some history and evidence that it's going to continue and it has some solid content. And I, I feel like we're at that point now. We just dropped episode 50 uh, this last week. And so I would encourage folks to take a look and see if it's useful and, and subscribe. And I will be mentioning the Working Cows podcast uh, as well. I don't have a giant listener base. There's probably 2,000 people that are listening regularly. Um, but I've found that you know even with that, it seems that it's necessary to advertise each episode. Even though, even though the way I subscribe to podcasts is, you know, whatever is newest just shows up in my feed and I listen to it. If it's interesting, it seems that there's a lot of people that are still, uh, you know, being directed to an episode rather than just listening to it because it was there. Sure. Advertising seems important and I uh, would encourage folks to take a listen. Yep. Okay. Let me do something for you on Unpasture then. When we talk on Thursday, let's talk about that. Sure. Very good. Well, uh, th- that's a, you're doing, you're doing great work, uh, tip if, and, uh, the, you're, you are succeeding in that work. If, if that's where you're at, are you 50 episodes uh, every other week? Uh, so is that two years almost? Correct. Yeah. We launched in yep. October of 18. Uh, and there were, I think there was, we took a break for a month in the first summer and then again around Christmas time uh, in the second year. But, it's mostly been every other week since October of 18. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think I'm, I'm at around 3,500 downloads, uh, an episode after 30 days, uh, and that, and I'm coming up next, well, this, this week, uh, last week, last week was three years for me. So, mm-hmm. uh, you're doing, you're doing really good and, uh, really appreciate the content and really appreciate both of you, uh, giving your time. And there'll be links to all of that in the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 164. So if you want to check out workingcows.net slash 164, there'll be links to On Pasture and to the Art of Range podcast and also the Colorado section for the Society of Range Management webinar series. So thank you guys for your time today. Thank you. That's a good opportunity. Really appreciate uh, their joining me and uh, looking forward to uh, more and future relationships uh, with with both of those individuals and, and really appreciate the content that they're creating and and make sure that you're supporting that content in whatever way you can, uh, whether it's becoming a subscriber over on Pasture or uh, giving, giving Tip the feedback that he needs uh, to to uh, give the feedback to those that are that are standing behind him and in the, in the funding sources that he has. So uh, go check them out and uh, and give them. Uh, give them a follow and support them. And uh, next week, really excited to be joined once again by Annalisa Walker. She is uh, one of the driving forces behind Walker Farms, but we're talking to her this time about uh, a new course that she's going to have coming out early in 2021 about uh, online marketing and and how you can take an ecosystem approach to online marketing. So uh, very, very cool kind of applying holistic management to online marketing. And I'm looking forward to that. And I encourage you to check out the Working Cows podcast next week, coming your way real soon. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week. Howdy, everybody. It's Clay Connery, host of The Working Cow...